Hi everyone, Kelly here, and I'm here to introduce you to yet another one of my Entertainment World's new podcast series. It's not really a podcast series, it's sort of like a fully integrated video podcast live stream extravaganza. Um, but basically it's just another uh, social isolation project that we've given ourselves to keep ourselves busy and social and engaged in the arts while we are um, trying to help stop spread the uh, stop the spread of COVID-19. Um, so this was my pet project. I was really excited about this one. Um, it seemed odd to me that there weren't going to be that many Shakespeare live readings happening over Zoom. To me, that's the obvious thing to do with Zoom and live streaming features. Um, so I put it out on Facebook. Didn't see, no one seemed to know of any so far. So I started one. Um, so we started with As You Like It, because that's my favorite play, and why not? Um, so yeah, just gathered together a bunch of... The cast was sort of a split. It was 19 people, and it was split between a bunch of my old friends from the Boston University Shakespeare Society and a bunch of Toronto theater actors who are just absolutely incredible. Um, and also not all actors. We have a producer in front of house person and we have a lighting designer and um, among the, the crew out of Boston and New York, we have a stage manager and all sorts of people. Um, so we have lots of interesting people participating in this reading. Um, I think the cast is really spectacular. You'll get a chance to hear um, some really fun performances from some of my favorite performers in the whole world. Um, and it's just as you like it. It's just like beautiful, lovely comfort food um, to make you feel a little bit better. I know doing this made me feel a little bit better. Um, so the live streamed video is available on our YouTube channel. Uh, I was still feeling, figuring out the technology in our first time through. So there's like 13 minutes at the top that's just like people coming in and joining the Zoom call and chit chat. And it's a little bit hectic. And uh, I did not know how to edit that. So the video form that you can find on the website, myentertainmentworld.ca or on our YouTube page is the live streamed, totally unedited version. And then we're also publishing this in the podcast feed um, so that you can hear it just because who doesn't want a version of Beautifully Read as you like it to listen to on the subway you're not taking, or I guess while you're doing the dishes at home alone um, to make you feel like you have some company who are speaking in verse and it's beautiful. Uh, so this recording actually started a little bit late because again, I just was all over the place technologically speaking for our first episode. Um, so this actually, this recording starts sort of halfway through the opening speech by Orlando, who here is played by Ben Sanders. Um, so if you want the full cast list, it is listed on the website, uh, myentertainmentworld.ca in the post about the As You Like It reading, um, cause I'm not going to list 19 names here. Uh, that's about it. So just enjoy the podcast. It's not really a podcast. Enjoy the, the nearly three-hour reading that you are about to listen to. Um, yeah, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MyEntWorld, MyENTWorld. And we're going to be doing a few of these. Um, we have Two Gentlemen of Verona coming up. We're recording tomorrow, so it'll be out sometime next week. Um, and that has a great cast already lined up, so I'm really looking forward to that. We've, we're already planning a few more down the road, so keep your eyes glued to our socials so that you can watch the next one live, and then they will all be going up in the podcast feed as well. Okay, guys, I've talked enough. Here's as you like it. His horses are bred better. For besides that they are fairer with their feeding, they are taught their manage, and to that end, riders dearly hired, but I 
his brother gain nothing under him but growth, for the, the which his animals on his dung hills are as much bound to him as I. Besides this nothing that he so plentifully gives me, the something that nature gave me, his countenance seems to take from me. He lets me feed with his hinds, bars me the place of a brother, and as much as in him lies, minds my gentility with my education. This is it, Adam, that graves me. And the spirit of my father, which I think is within me, begins to mutiny against this servitude. I will no longer endure it, though yet I know no wise remedy how to avoid it. Uh, yonder comes my master, your brother. <laughs> Go apart, Adam, and thou shalt hear how he will shake me up. Now, sir, what make you here? Nothing. I'm not taught to make anything. What mar you then, sir? Mary, sir. I am helping you to mar that which God made, a poor, unworthy brother of yours, with idleness. Mary, sir, be better employed, and be not wild. Shall I keep your hogs and eat husks with them? What prodigal portion have I spent that I should come to such penury? Know you where you are, sir. Ah, oh, sir, very well. Here in your orchard. Know you before whom, sir? I, better than him, I am before knows me. I know you are my eldest brother. And in the gentle condition of blood, you should so know me. The courtesy of nations allows you my better in that you were the firstborn, but the same tradition takes not away my blood. Were there twenty brothers betwixt us? I have as much of my father in me as you, albeit I confess your coming before me is nearer to his reverence. What boy? Come, come, elder brother, you are too young in this. Wilt thou lay hands on me, villain? I am no villain. I am the youngest son of Sir Roland de Bois. He was my father, and he is thrice a villain. It says, such a father begot villains. Wert thou not my brother, I would take this hand from thy throat till this other had pulled out thy tongue for saying so. Thou hast railed on thyself. Uh, sweet masters, be patient, for your father's remembrance be at accord. Let me go, I say. I will not till I please. You shall hear me. My father charged you in his will to give me good education. You have trained me like a peasant, obscuring and hiding from me all gentlemanlike qualities. The spirit of my father grows strong in me, and I will no longer endure it. Therefore, allow me such exercises as may become a gentleman, or give me the poor a lottery my father left me by testament. With that, I will go buy my fortunes. And what wilt thou do? Beg when that is spent. Well, sir, get you in. I will no longer be troubled with you. You shall have some part of your will. I pray you leave me. I will no further offend you than becomes me for my good. Head you with him, you old dog. Is old dog my reward? Most true, I have lost my teeth in your service. God be with my old master. He would not have spoke such a word. Exit Orlando and Adam. Is it even so? Begin you to grow upon me. I will physic your rankness, and yet give no thousand crowns neither. Ola, Dennis. Paul's your worship. Was not Charles, the Duke's wrestler, here to speak with me? So please you, he is here at the door and importunes access to you. Call him in. Exit Dennis. Twill be a good day, and tomorrow the wrestling is. Enter Charles. Good morrow, your worship. Good Monsieur Charles. What's the new news at the new court? There's no news at the court, sir, but the old news. That is, the old duke is banished by his younger brother, the new duke. And three or four loving lords have put themselves into voluntary exile with him whose lands and revenues enrich the new duke. Therefore, he gives them good leave to wander. Can you tell if Rosaline, the duke's daughter, be banished with her father? Oh, 
No, for the Duke's daughter, her cousin so loves her, ever being from their cradles bred together, that she would have followed her exile or have died to stay behind her. She is at the court, and no less beloved of her uncle than his own daughter, and never two ladies loved as they do. Where would the old Duke live? They say he is already in the Forest of Arden, and many a merry men with him, and there they live like the old Robin Hood of England. They say many young men, gentlemen, flock to him every day and flee the time carelessly as they did in the golden world. What, you wrestle tomorrow before the new Duke? Mary, I do, sir. And I came to acquaint with you a matter. I'm given, sir, secretly to understand that your younger brother Orlando hath a disposition to come in disguise against me to try a fall. Tomorrow, sir, I wrestle for my credit, and he that escapes without some broken limb shall acquit him well. Your brother is but a young and tender, and for your love I would be loath to foil him, as I must for my own honor. If he comes in, therefore, out of my love to you, I came hither to acquaint you withal that either you might stay him from his intentment, or brook such disgrace well as he shall run into. That is, it is a thing of his own search, and altogether against my will. Charles, I thank thee for thy love for me, which thou shalt find I will most kindly requite. I had myself notice of my brother's purpose herein, and have by underhand means labored to dissuade him from it. But he is resolute. I'll tell thee, Charles, it is the stubbornest young fellow of France, full of ambition, an envious emulator of every man's good parts, a secret and villainous contriver against me, his natural brother. Therefore, use thy, dis thy discretion. I had as lief thou didst break his neck as his finger. And thou wert best look to it, for if thou dost him any slight disgrace, or if he do not mightily grace himself on thee, he will practice against thee by poison, entrap thee by some treacherous device, and never leave thee till he hath taken thy life by some indirect means or other. For I assure thee, and almost with tears I speak it, there is not one so young and so villainous this day living. I, I speak but brotherly of him, but should I anatomize him to thee as he is, I must blush and weep, and thou must look pale in wonder. I'm heartily glad I came hither to you. If he come tomorrow, I'll give him his payment. If ever he go alone again, I'll never wrestle for prize more. So God keep your worship. Farewell, good Charles. Exit Charles. Now will I stir this gangster. I hope I shall see the end of, an end of him for my soul, yet I know not why hates nothing more than he. Yet He's gentle, never schooled and yet learned, full of noble device of all sorts, enchantingly beloved, and indeed so much in the heart of the world, and especially of my own people who best know him, that I am altogether misprized. But it shall not be so long. This wrestler shall clear all. Nothing remains but that I kindle the boy thither, which now I'll go about. Exit. Scene two, lawn before the Duke's palace. Enter Celia and Rosalind. I pray thee, Rosalind, sweet my cause, be merry. Dear Celia, I show more mirth than I am mistress of, and would you yet I were merrier? Unless you could teach me how to forget a banished father, you must not learn me how to remember any extraordinary pleasure. Herein I see thou lovest me not with the full weight that I love thee. If my uncle, thy banished father, had banished thy uncle, the duke, my father, Though thou had still been with me, I could have taught my love to take thy father for wine. 
so wouldst thou, if the truth of thy love to me were so righteously tempered as mine is to thee. Well, I will forget the condition of my estate to rejoice in yours. You know my father hath no child but I, nor none is like to have, and truly, when he dies, thou shalt be his heir. But what he hath taken away from thy father perforce, I will render thee again in affection. By mine honor I will. And when I break that oath, let me turn monster. Therefore, my sweet rose, my dear rose, be merry. From henceforth I will, cuz, and devise sports. Let me see. What think you of falling in love? Mary, I pretty do to make sport withal, but love no man in good earnest, nor no further in sport, neither than with safety of a pure blush thou mayst in come honor come off again. What shall be our sport then? Mm, let us sit and mock the good housewife fortune from her wheel, that her gift may henceforth be bestowed equally. I would we could do so, for her benefits are mightily misplaced, and the bountiful blind woman doth most mistake in her gifts to women. Tis true, for those that she makes fair, she scarce makes honest, and those that she makes honest, she makes very ill-favoredly. Nay, now thou goest from fortune's office to nature's. Fortune reigns in the gifts of the world, not in the lineaments of nature. No. And when <laughs> no, when nature hath made a fair creature, may she not by fortune fall into the fire. Though nature hath given us wit to flout at fortune, hath not fortune sent in this fool to cut off the argument? Indeed, there is fortune too hard for nature, when fortune makes nature's natural the cutter off of nature's wit. Her adventure, this is not fortune's work neither, but nature's who perceiveth our natural wit too dull to reason of such goddesses and hath senses natural for our whetstone for always the dullness of the fool is the whetstone of the wit how now wit whither wander you mistress you must come away to your father were you made the messenger no by my honor but i was bid to come for you where learned you that oath fool of a certain knight that swore by his honor they were good pancakes, and swore by his honor the mustard was not. Now I'll stand to it. The pancakes were not, and the mustard was good, and yet was not the knight forsworn. How prove you that in the great heap of your knowledge? Ay, Mary, now unmuzzle your wisdom. And you both forth now. Stroke your chins and swear by your beards that I am a knave. By our beards, if we had them, thou art. Hmm. By my knavery, if I had it, then I were. But if you swear by that, that is not, you are not forsworn. No more was that knight swearing by his honor, for he never had any. Or if he had, he had sworn it away before he even saw those pancakes or mustard. Pretty, who is that thou meanest? One that old Frederick your father loves. My father's love is enough to honor him. Enough. Speak no more of him. You'll be whipped for taxation one of these days. More pity that fools may not speak wisely what wise men do foolishly. I my trust thou sayest true. For since the little wit that fools here have silenced, the little foolery that wise men have makes a great show. Here comes Monsieur Lebeau. 
with his mouth full of news. <laughs> Which he will put on us as pigeons feed their young. Then shall we be news crammed. Oh, the better. We shall be more, be the more marketable. Enter LeBeau. Bonjour, Monsieur LeBeau. What's the news? Fair princess, you have lost much good sport. Sport? Of what color? What color, madam? How shall I answer you? As wit and fortune will. Or as the destinies decree. Well said, that was laid on with a trowel. Nay, if I keep not my rank. Thou losest thy old smell. You amaze me, ladies. I would have told you of good wrestling, which you have lost the sight of. You tell us the manner of the wrestling. I will tell you the beginning. And if it please your ladyships, you may see the end. For the best is yet to do. And here, where you are, they are coming to perform it. Well, the beginning that is dead and buried. There comes an old man and his three sons. I could match this beginning with an old tale. Three proper young men of excellent growth and presence. With bills on their necks. Be it known unto all men by these presents. <laughs> the eldest of the three wrestled with Charles, the Duke's wrestler. Which Charles in a moment threw him and broke three of his ribs. And there is little hope of life in him. So he served the second and so the third. Yonder they lie, the poor old man, their father, making such pitiful dole over them that all the beholders take his part with weeping. Alas, but what is the sport, Monsieur, that the ladies have lost? Why, this that I speak of. Ah, oh, thus men may grow wiser every day. It is the first time that I have ever heard breaking of ribs was a sport for ladies. <laughs> or I, I promise thee. But is there any else longs to see this broken music in his size? Is there yet another dotes upon rib breaking? Shall we see this wrestling custom? Oh, you must if you stay here, for here is the place appointed for the wrestling, and they are ready to perform it. Beyond are sure they are coming. Let us now stay and see it. Flourish, enter Duke Frederick, Lords, Orlando, Charles, and attendants. Come on, since the youth will not be entreated, his own peril on his forwardness. Is yonder the man? Even he, madam. Alas, he is too young, yet he looks successfully. How now, daughter and cousin? Are you crept hither to see the wrestling? I, my liege, so please you give us leave. You will take little delight in it, I can tell you. There are such odds in the man. In pity of the challenger's youth, I would fain dissuade him, but he will not be entreated. Speak to him, ladies. See if you can move him. Call him hither, good Monsieur Lebeau. Do so. I'll not be by. Monsieur, the challenger, the princesses call for you. I will attend them with all respect and duty. Young man, have you challenged Charles the wrestler? No, fair princess, he's the general challenger. I come but in, as others do, to try with him the strength of my youth. Young gentlemen, your spirits are too bold for your years. You have seen cruel proof of this man's strength. If you saw yourself with your eyes or knew yourself with your judgment, the fear of your adventure would counsel you to a more equal enterprise. We pray you, for your own sake, to embrace your own safety and give over this attempt. Do, young sir, your reputation shall not therefore be misprized. We will make it our suit to the Duke that the wrestling might not go forward. I beseech you, punish me not with your hard thoughts, wherein I confess me much guilty to deny so fair and excellent ladies anything. 
but let your fair eyes and gentle wishes go with me to my trial, wherein if I be foiled, there is but one shamed that was never gracious. If killed, but one dead that was willing to be so. I shall do my friends no wrong, for I have none to lament me. The world no injury, for in it I have nothing. Only in the world I fill up a place which may be better supplied when I have made it empty. The little strength that I have, I would it were with you. And mine, to eke out hers. Very well. Pray heaven I be deceived in you. Your heart's desires be with you. Come, where is this young gallant that is so desirous to lie with his mother earth? Ready, sir, but his will hath in it a more modest working. You shall try but one fall. No, I warrant your grace, you shall not entreat him to a second that have so mightily persuaded him from a first. And you mean to mock me after you should not have mocked me before, but come your ways. Now, Hercules, be thy speed, young man. I would I were invisible to catch the strong fellow by the leg. They wrestle. Oh, excellent, young man. <laughs> I have a thunderbolt <laughs> in mine eye. I can tell who should down. Shout, Charles is thrown. No more, no more. Yes, I beseech your grace. I'm not yet well breathed. How dost thou, Charles? He cannot speak, my lord. Bear him away. What is thy name, young man? Orlando, my liege, the youngest son of Sir Roland the Boys. I would thou hadst been son to some, some man else. Thou world esteemed thy father honorable, but I did find, I find him still mine enemy. Thou shouldst have better pleased me with this deed, hadst thou descended from another house. But fare thee well, thou art a gallant youth. I would thou hadst told me of another father. Exint do Frederick, Train, and LeBeau. Were I my father, cuz, would I do this? I am more proud to be Sir Roland's son, his youngest son, and would not change that calling to be adopted heir to Frederick. My father loved Sir Roland as his soul, and all the world was of my father's mind. Had I before known this young man his son, I, I should have given him tears unto entreaties, ere he should have thus ventured. Gentle cousin, let us go thank him and encourage him. My father's rough and envious disposition sticks me at heart. Sir, you have well deserved. If you do keep your promises in love, but justly, as you have exceeded all promise, your mistress shall be happy. Gentlemen. Giving him a chain from her neck. Wear this for me. One note of suits with fortune that could give more, but that her hand lacks means. Shall we go, cuz? Aye. Fare you well, fair gentlemen. Can I not say thank you? My better parts are all thrown down. That which here stands up is but a quintain, a mere lifeless block. He calls us back. My pride fell with my fortunes. I'll ask him what he would. Did you call, sir? <sighs> sir, you have wrestled well and overthrown more than your enemies. Will you go, Kai? I'm with you. Very well. Exempt Rosalind and Celia. What passion hangs these weights upon my tongue? I cannot speak to her, yet she urged conference. Oh, poor Orlando. Thou art overthrown. Or Charles, or something weaker, masters thee. Re-enter LeBeau. Good sir, I do in friendship counsel you to leave this place. 
Albeit you have deserved high commendation, true applause and love, yet such is now the Duke's condition that he misconstrues all that you have done. The Duke is humorous. What he is indeed more suits you to conceive than I to speak of. I thank you, sir. And pray you, tell me this. <clears throat> the two was daughter of the Duke that was here at the wrestling. Neither his daughter, if we Wait. judge by manners, but yet indeed the lesser is his daughter. The other is daughter to the banished duke, and here detained by her usurping uncle, to keep his daughter dear company, whose loves are dearer than the natural bond of sisters. But I can tell you that of late this duke hath taken displeasure against his gentle niece, grounded upon no other argument, but that the people praise her for her virtues and pity her for her good father's sake. And on my life, his malice against the lady will suddenly break forth. Sir, fare you well. Hereafter, in a better world than this, I shall desire more love and knowledge of you. I rest much bound into you. Farewell. Exit the bow. This must I from the smoke into the smother, from tyrant duke unto a tyrant brother. But heavenly Rosalind. Exit. Scene three, a room in the palace. Enter Celia and Rosalind. Why, cousin. Why, Rosalind. Cupid have mercy. Not a word? Not one to throw at a dog. No, thy words are too precious to be cast away upon curry. Throw some of them at me! Come, lay me with reasons! Then there were two cousins laid up, when the one should be lamed with reasons and the other mad without any. But is all this for your father? No. Some of it is for my child's father. Oh, how full of briars is this working day world. They are but burrs, cousin, thrown upon thee in holiday foolery. If we walk not in the trodden path, our very petticoats will catch them. I could shake them off my coat. These burrs are in my heart. Hem them away. I would try if I could hem and have him. <laughs> come, come, wrestle with thy affection. Oh, they... Take the part of a better wrestler than myself. Oh, a good wish upon you. You will try in time in despite of a fall. But turning these jests out of service, let us talk in good earnest. Is it possible on such a sudden you should fall into so strong a liking with old Sir Roland's youngest son? The Duke, my father, loved his father dearly. Thus it therefore ensue that you should love his son dearly? By this kind of chase, you should, I should hate him, for my father hated his father dearly, yet I hate not Orlando. No, faith, hate him not, for my sake. Why should I not? Doth he not deserve well? Let me love him for that. And do you love him, because I do? Look, here comes the Duke. With his eyes full of anger. Enter Duke Frederick with lords. Mistress, dispatch you with your safest haste, and get you from our court. Me, uncle? You, cousin, within these ten days, if that thou best found, so near our public court as twenty miles, thou diest for it. I do beseech your grace, let me the knowledge of my fault bear with me. If with myself I hold intelligence, or have acquaintance with mine own desires, if that I do not dream, or be not frantic, as I do trust I am not, then, dear uncle, never so much as a thought unborn did I offend your highness. Thus do all traitors, if their purgation and did consist in words. 
They are as innocent as grace itself. Let it suffice thee that I trust thee not. Yet your mistrust cannot make me a traitor. Tell me whereon the likelihood depends. Thou art thy father's daughter. There's enough. So was I when your highness took his dukedom. So was I when your highness banished him. Treason is not inherited, my lord. Or if we did derive it from our friends, what's that to me? My father was no traitor. Then good my liege mistake me not so much to think my poverty is treacherous. Dear sovereign, hear me speak. Aye, Celia, we stayed for here for your sake. Else she had come, else she with her father ranged along. I did not then entreat to have her stay. It was your pleasure and your own remorse. I was too young that time to value her, but now I know her. If she be a traitor, why so am I. We still have slept together, rose at an instant, learned, played together, ate together, and where so went, like Juno swans, so we went coupled and inseparable. She is too subtle for thee, and her smoothness, her very silence and her patience speak to the people, and they pity her. Thou art a fool. She robs thee of thy name, and thou wilt show more bright and seem more virtuous when she is gone. Then open not thy lips. Firm and irrevocable is my doom, which I have passed upon her. She is banished. Pronounce that sentence then on me, my liege. I cannot live out of her company. You are a fool. You, niece, provide yourself. If you outstay the time upon my honor, and in the greatness of my word, you die. Exit Duke Frederick and Lords. Oh, my poor Rosalind. Whither wilt thou go? Wilt thou change fathers? I will give thee mine. I charge thee, be not thou more grieved than I am. I have more cause. Thou hast not, cousin. Prithee, be cheerful. Now knowest thou not, the duke hath banished me, his daughter. That he hath not. No, he hath not? Rosalind lacks then the love which teacheth thee that thou and I am one. Shall we be sundered? Shall we part, sweet girl? No. Let my father seek another heir. Therefore devise with me how we may fly, whither to go and what to bear with us. And do not seek to take your change upon you, to bear your grief of yourself and leave me out. For by this heaven, now at our sorrow's pale, say what thou canst. I'll go along with thee. What? Whither shall we go? To seek my uncle in the forest of Arden. Alas, what danger will it be to us, maids as we are to travel far, forth so far? Beauty provoketh thieves sooner than gold. I'll put myself in poor and mean attire, and with a kind of umber smirch my face. Delight to you, so shall we pass along and never stir a sail it. Were it not better, because I am more than common tall, that I did suit me at all points like a man. Oh. A, a gallant curtle axe upon my thigh, a, a boar spear in my hand, mm. and in my heart. Lie there what women's hidden, woman's fear there will. We'll have a swashing and a martial outside as many other mannish cowards that do outface it with their semblances. What shall I call thee when thou art a man? I'll have no worse a name than Jove's own page. And therefore, look you, call me Ganymede. Mm. What, you, what will you be called? 
that hath a reference to my state, no longer Celia, but Daliana. <laughs> but cousin, if we essayed to steal the clownish fool of your father's court, would he not be a comfort to our travel? He'll go along o'er the wide world with me. Leave me alone to woo him. Let's away and get our jewels and our wealth together, devise the fittest time and safest way to hide us from pursuit that will be made after my flight. Now, go we in content to liberty, not to banishment. Exempt. Act two, scene one, the forest of Arden. Enter Duke Senior, Amiens, and two or three lords like foresters. Now, my co-mates and brothers in exile, hath not old custom made this life more sweet than that of painted pomp? Are not these woods more free from peril than the envious court? Here feel we but the penalty of Adam, the season's difference, as the icy fang and churlish chiding of the winter's wind, which when it bites and blows upon the body, even till I shrink with cold, I smile and say, this is no flattery. These are counselors that feelingly persuade me what I am. Sweet are the uses of adversity, which like the toad, ugly and venomous, wears yet a precious jewel in his head. In this, our life exempt from public haunt finds tongues in trees, books in the running brooks, sermons and stones and good in everything. I would not change it. Happy is your grace that can translate the stubbornness of fortune into so quiet and so sweet a style. Come, shall we go and kill us venison? And yet it irks me that the poor dappled fools being native burghers in this de uh, desert city should in their own confines with forked heads have their round haunches gored. Indeed, my lord. The melancholy Jacquees screams at that, and in that kind swears you do more usurp than doth your brother that hath banished you. Today my lord of Amiens and myself did steal behind him as he lay along under an oak whose antique root peeps out upon the brook that brawls along this wood. To the which place a poor sequestered stag that from the hunter's aim had tainted hurt did come to languish, and indeed, my lord, the wretched animal heaved forth such groans that their discharge did stretch his leathern coat almost to bursting, and the big round tears coursed one another down his innocent nose in piteous chase. And thus the hairy fool, much marked with the melancholy Jacquees, stood on the extremest verge of the swift brook, augmenting it with tears. But what said Jacquees? Did he not moralize this spectacle? Oh yes, into a thousand similes. First for his weeping into the needless stream. Poor dear, quoth he, thou makest a testament as worldlings do, giving thy sum of more to that which had too much. Then, being there alone, left and abandoned of his velvet friends, tis right, quoth he, thus misery doth part the flux of company. Anon a careless herd, full of the pasture, jumps along by him and never stays to greet him. I, quoth Jacques, sweep on, you fat and greasy citizens, tis just the fashion. Wherefore do you look upon that poor and broken bankrupt there? Thus, most invectively, he pierceth through the body of the country, city, court, and yea, and of this our life, swearing that we are mere usurpers, tyrants, and what's worse, to fright the animals and to kill them up in their assigned and native dwelling place. And did you leave him in this contemplation? We did, my lord, weeping and commenting upon the sobbing deer. 
show me the place. I love to coat him in these sullen fits, for then he's full of mutter, or matter. I'll bring you to him straight. Excellent. Scene two, a room in the palace. Enter Duke Frederick with lords. Can it be possible that no man saw them? It cannot be. Some villains of my court are of consent and sufferance in this. I cannot hear of any that did see her. The ladies, her attendants of her chamber, saw her abed, and in the morning early they found the bed untreasured of their mistress. My lord, the roinish clown at whom so oft your grace was wont to laugh is also missing. Hesperia, the princess's gentlewoman, confesses that she secretly o'erheard your daughter and her cousin much commend the parts and graces of the wrestler that did but lately foil the sinewy Charles, and she believes wherever they are gone that youth is surely in their company. Send to his brother, fetch that gallant hither. If he be absent, bring his brother to me. I'll make him find him and do this suddenly. Let and let not search and inquisition quail to bring again these foolish runaways. Exempt. Scene three, before Oliver's house, enter Orlando and Adam meeting. Who's there? What? My young master? Oh, my gentle master. Oh, my sweet master. Oh, you memory of old Sir Roland. Why, what make you here? Why are you so virtuous? Why do people love you and wherefore? Are you gentle, strong, and valiant? Why would you be so fond to overcome the bonny prize of the humorous duke? Your praise has come too swiftly home before you. Know you not, master, to some kind of men, their graces serve them but as enemies. No more yours, your, your virtues, gentle master, are sanctified and holy traitors to you. Oh, what a world is this when what is comely envenoms him that dares it. What's the matter? Oh, unhappy youth. Come, not within these doors, within this roof. The enemy of all your graces lives. Your brother, no, 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 brother. If the son, uh, yet not the son, I will not call him son of him I was about to call his father. Hath heard your praises, and this night he means to burn the lodgings where you used to lie, and you within it. If he fails of that, he will have other means to cut you off. I overheard him and his practices. There is no place. This house is but a butchery. Abhor it. Fear it. Do not enter it. Whither, Adam, wouldst thou have me go? Uh, no matter whither, so you come not here. Oh, wouldst thou have me go and beg my food? Or with a base and boisterous sword and voice enforce a thievish living on the common road? This I must do, or know not what to do. Yet this I will not do, do how I can. I rather will subject me to the malice of a diverted blood and bloody brother. But do not so. I have five hundred crowns, the thrifty hire I saved unto your father, which I did store to be my foster nurse when services should in my old limbs lie lame and unregarded age in corners thrown. I take that. And he that doth the ravens feed, yea, providently caters for the sparrow, be comfort to my age. Here is the gold, and all this I give to you. Let me be your servant. Though I look old, yet I am strong and lusty. For in my youth I did never apply hot and rebellious liquors in my blood, nor did not with unbashful forehead woo the means of weakness and debility. Therefore my age is as lusty winter, frosty but kindly. Let me go with you. I'll do the service of a younger man in all your business and necessities. 
Oh, good old man. How well in thee appears the constant service of the antique world, when service sweat for duty, not for need. Thou art not for the fashion of these times, where none will sweat but for promotion, and having that, you choke their service up, even with the having. It is not so with thee. But, poor old man, a prune is a rotten tree. It cannot so much as a blossom yield, in lieu of all thy pains and husbandry that come thy ways. We'll go along together, and ere we have thy youthful wages spent, we'll light upon some settled low content. Master. Go on, and I will follow thee to the last gasp with truth and loyalty from seventeen years till now. Almost fourscore, here I lived I, here lived I, but now live here no more. At seventeen years, many their fortune seek, but at fourscore it is too late a week. Yet fortune cannot recompense me better than to die well and not my master's debtor. Exunt, scene four, the forest of Arden. Enter Rosalind for Ganymede, Celia for Aliena, and Touchstone. Oh, Jupiter, how weary are my spirits. You're not from our spirits if my legs were not weary. <laughs> I could find in my heart to disgrace my man's apparel and to cry like a woman. But I must comfort the weaker vessel, as doublet and hose ought to show itself courageous to petticoat. Therefore, courage, good Aliena. I pray you bear with me. I cannot <laughs> go no further. For my part, I'd rather bear with you than bear you. Yet I should not bear no cross if I did bear you, for I think you have no money in your purse. Mm. Well, this is the forest of Arden. I know I am in Arden, the more fool I. When I was at home, I was in a better place, but... Travelers must be content. I be so good, Touchstone. Enter hey. Corin and Silvius. <laughs> that is the way to make her scorn you still. Oh, Corin, that thou knewest how I do love her. I partly guess, for I have loved her now. No, Corin, being old, thou canst not guess. Though in thy youth thou wast a true a lover, is ever sighed upon a midnight pillow. But if thy love were ever like to mine as, uh, sure, I think I did never man love so. How many actions, most ridiculous, hast thou been drawn to by thy fantasy? Into a thousand that I have forgotten. Oh, thou didst then ne'er love so heartily. If thou remember'st not the slightest folly that ever love did make thee run into, thou hast not loved. Or if thou hast not sat, as I do now, wearying thy hearer in thy mistress's praise, thou hast not loved. Or if thou hast not broken company abruptly, as my passion now makes me, thou hast not loved. Oh, Phoebe, Phoebe. Baby! Exit. <laughs> Alas, poor shepherd. Searching of thy wound, I have by hard adventure found mine own. And oh. I mine. Oh, I remember when I was in love, I broke my sword upon a stone and bit him. Take that for coming a night to Jane's smile. Oh, and I remember the kissing of her batlet and the cow's dugs that her pretty chopped hands had melt and I remember the wooing of a peascod instead of her from 
whom I took two cods and, and giving her them again, said with weeping tears, wear these for my sake. <laughs> we that are true lovers run into strange capers. But as all is mortal in nature, so is all nature in love mortal in folly. Thou speakest wiser than thou art aware of. Nay, I shall ne'er beware of my own wit till I break missions against it. <laughs> Joe, this shepherd's passion is much upon my fashion. And mine, but it grows something stale with me. I pray you, one of you, question yon man if he for gold will give us any food. I faint almost to death. Hollow, you clown! Peace, fool. He is not thy kinsman. Who calls? Your betters, sir. Else are they very wretched. Peace, I say. Good even to you, friend. <laughs> and to you, gentle sir, and to you all. I prithee, shepherd, if that love or gold can in this desert place by entertainment bring us where we may rest ourselves and feed. Here's a young maid with travel much oppressed and faints for succour. Fair, sir, I pity her and wish for her sake more than for my own. My fortunes were more able to relieve her, but I am shepherd to another man and do not share the fleeces that I graze. My master is of churlish disposition and little wrecks to find the way to heaven by doing deeds of hospitality. Besides, his coat, his flocks and bounds of feed are now on sale and at our sheep coat now. By reason of his absence, there is nothing that you will feed on. But what is, come see, and in my voice, most welcome you shall be. What is he that shall buy his flock and pasture? That young swain that you saw here but erewhile, that little cares for buying anything. I pray thee, if it stand with honesty, buy thou the cottage, pasture, and the flock, and thou shalt have to pay for it of us. And we will mend thy wedges. I like this place, and willingly could waste my time in it. Assuredly, the thing is to be sold. Good with me. If you like upon report the soil, the profit, and this kind of life, I will your very faithful feeder be, and buy it with your gold right suddenly. Exent. Scene five, the forest. Enter Amiens, Jacques, and others. Song. Under the greenwood tree, loves to lie with me and turn his merry note unto the sweet bird's throat. Come hither, come hither, come hither. Here shall he see no enemy but winter and rough weather more more i pretty more it will make you melancholy monsieur jacques i thank it more i pretty more i can suck melancholy out of a song as a weasel sucks eggs more i pretty more my voice is ragged. I, I know it cannot please you. I do not desire you to please me. I do desire you to sing. Come, more, another stanza. Call you it a stanza? What you will, Monsieur Jacques. Nay, I care not for their names. They owe me nothing. Will you sing? 
more at your request than to please myself. Well then, if ever I thank any man, I'll thank you. But that they call compliments is like the encounter of two dog apes. And when a man thanks me heartily, methinks I have given him a penny, and he renders me the beggarly thanks. Come, sing, and you will not hold your tongues. Well, I'll end the song. Sir, cover the while, the duke will drink under this tree. He hath been all this day to look, to look you. And I have been all this day to avoid him. He is too disputable for my company. I think of as many matters as he, but I give heaven thanks and make no boast of them. Come, warble, come. Who doth ambition shun and loves to live in the sun, seeking the food he eats and pleased with what he gets? Come hither, come hither, come hither. Here shall he see no enemy but winter and rough weather. I'll give you a verse to this note that I made yesterday in despite of my invention. And I'll sing it. Thus it goes. If it do come to pass that any man turn ass, Leaving his wealth and ease, a stubborn will to please. Dukdame, dukdame, dukdame. Here shall he see, gross fools as he, and if he will, come to me. What's that, dukdame? It is a Greek invocation to call fools into a circle. I'll go sleep if I can. If I cannot, I'll rail against all the firstborn of Egypt. And I'll go seek the duke. His banquet is prepared. Exunt severally. Scene six, the forest. Enter Orlando and Adam. Dear master, I can go no further. Oh, I die for food. Here, lie I down and measure out my grave. Farewell, kind master. Why, how now, Adam? No greater heart in thee. Live a little, comfort a little, cheer thyself a little. If this uncouth forest yield anything savage, I will either be food for it or bring it for food to thee. Thy conceit is nearer death than thy powers. For my sake, be comfortable. Hold death a while at the arm's end. I will be here with thee presently, and if I bring thee not something to eat, I will give thee leave to die. But if thou diest before I come, thou art a mocker of my labor. Huh? Well said. Thou looks truly. I'll be with thee quickly. But thou liest in a bleak air. I'll bear thee to some shelter, and thou shalt not die for lack of dinner if there live anything in this desert. Cheerly, good Adam. Exempt. Scene seven, the forest. A table set out, enter Duke Senior, Amiens, and Lords like outlaws. I think he be transformed into a beast, for I can nowhere find him like a man. Oh, these are um, like Gabby oh, and my James. My lord, he is but even now gone hence. <laughs> He, here was he merry, hearing of a song. If he, compact of jars, grow musical, we shall have shortly discord in the spheres. Go, seek him. Tell him I would speak with him. Enter Jaques. He saves my labor by his own approach. Why, how now, monsieur? What a life is this, that your poor friends must woo your company? What? You look merrily. <laughs> a fool. 
a fool. I met a fool in the forest, a motley fool, a miserable world. As I do live by food, I met a fool who laid him down and basked him in the sun and railed on Lady Fortune in good terms, in good set terms, and yet a motley fool. Good morrow, fool, quoth I. No, sir, quoth he. Call me not fool till heaven hath sent me fortune. And then he drew a dial from his poke and looking on it with lackluster eye says very wisely, it is 10 o'clock, thus we may see, quoth he, how the world wags. Tis but an hour ago since it was nine and after one hour more, twill be 11. And so from hour to hour, we ripe and ripe. And then from hour to hour, we rot and rot. And thereby hangs a tale. When I did hear the motley fool thus moral on the time, my lungs began to grow like chanticleer. That fools should be so deep contemplative. And I did laugh sans intermission an hour by his dial. <laughs> oh, noble fool, a worthy fool. Motley's the only wear. What fool is this? Oh, worthy fool, one that hath been a courtier and says, if ladies be but young and fair, they have the gift to know it. And in his brain, which is as dry as the remainder biscuit after a voyage, he hath strange places crammed with observation, the which he vents in mangled forms. Oh, that I were a fool. I am ambitious for a motley coat. Thou shalt have one. It is my only suit provided that you weed your better judgments. Of all opinion that grows rank in them, that I am wise. I must have liberty withal, as large a charter as the wind, to blow on whom I please, for so fools have. And they that are mo most gulled with my folly, they most must laugh. And why, sir, must they so? The why is plain as way to parish church. He that hath a fool, doth very wisely hit, doth very foolishly, although he smart, not to seem senseless of the bob. If not, the wise man's folly is anatomized, even by the squandering's glance of the fool. Invest me in my motley, give me leave to speak my mind, and I will through and through cleanse the foul body of the infected world, if they will patiently receive my medicine. Fie on thee, I can tell what thou wouldst do. What? For a counter, would I do but good? Oh, most mischievous foul sin, and chiding sin, for thou thyself hast been a libertine, as sensual as the brutish sting itself, and all the embossed sores and headed evils that thou wouldst license of free foot hast caught, wouldst thou disgorge into the general world? Why? Who, who cries out on pride? They can therein tax any private party. Doth it not flow as hugely as the sea, till that the weary very means do ebb? What woman in the city do I name? When that I say the city woman bears the cost of princes on unworldly shoulders. Who can come in and say that I mean her? When such a one as she, such is her neighbor. And what is he of basest function that says his bravery is not of my cost? Thinking that I mean him, but therein suits his folly to the metal of my speech. There, then, how then? 
What then? Let me see wherein my tongue hath wronged him. If it do him right, then he hath wronged himself. If he be free, why then my taxing like a wild goose flies, unclaimed of any man. But who comes here? Enter Orlando with his sword drawn. Forbear, and eat no more. Why, I have eaten none yet. Nor shalt not till necessity be served. Of what kind should this cock come of? Art thou thus boldened, man, by thy distress, or also rude dispenser of good manners, that in civility thou seemst so empty? You touched my vein at first. The thorny point of bare distress hath taken from me the show of smooth civility. Yet I am inland bred and know some nurture. But forbear, I say. He dies that touches any of this fruit till I and my affairs be answered. And you will not be answered with reason. I must die. What would you have? Your gentleness shall force more than your force move us to gentleness. I almost die for food, and let me have it. Sit down and feed, and welcome to our table. Speak you so gently. Pardon me, I pray you. I thought that all things had been savage here, and therefore I put on the countenance of stern commandment. But whatever you are, that in this desert inaccessible, under the shade of melancholy boughs, lose and neglect the creeping hours of time. If ever you have looked on better days, if ever been where bells have knolled to church, if ever sat at any good man's feast, if ever from your eyelids wiped a tear and know what is to pity and be pitied, let gentleness my strong enforcement be, in the which hope I blush and hide my sword. True it is that we have seen better days and have with holy bell been nodded to church and sat at good men's feasts and wiped our eyes of drops that sacred pity hath engendered. And therefore sit you down in gentleness and take upon command what help we have that your wanting may be ministered. Then but forbear your food a little while, whilst like a doe I go to find my fawn and give it food. There was a poor old man who after me hath many a weary step limped in pure love, till he be first sufficed oppressed with two weak evils, age and hunger, I will not touch a bit. Go, find him out, and we will nothing waste till you return. I thank you, and be blessed for your good comfort. Exit. Thou seest we are not all alone, unhappy. This wide and universal theater presents more woeful pageants than the scene wherein we play in. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women Merely players. They have their exits and their entrances. And one man in his time plays many parts. His acts being seven ages. At first the infant, mewling and puking in his nurse's arms. And then the whining schoolboy with his satchel and his shining morning face, creeping like a snail, unwillingly to school. And then the lover sighing like furnace with a woeful ballad made to his mistress's eyebrow and a soldier full of strange oaths and bearded like the pard jealous in honor sudden and quick in quarrel seeking the bubble reputation even in the cannon's mouth and then the justice in fair round belly and his good cape and lined with eyes severe and beard of formal cut 
full of wise saws and modern instances. And so he plays his part. The sixth age shifts into the lean and slippered pantaloon with spectacles on nose and pouch on side, his youthful hose, well saved, a world too wide for his shrunk shank and his big manly voice turning again toward childish treble, pipes and whistles in his sound. Last scene of all that ends this strange eventful history is second childishness and mere oblivion sense teeth, sense eyes, sense taste, sense everything. Re-enter Orlando with Adam. Welcome. Set down your venerable burthen and let him feed. I thank you most for him. So had you need, I scarce can speak to thank you for myself. Welcome, fall to. I will not trouble you as yet to question you about your fortunes. Give us some music and good cousin, sing. I know I lost my place. <laughs> <laughs> if that you were the good Sir Roland's son, and you have whispered faithfully you were, and as mine eye doth this his effigies witness, most truly limbed and living in your face, be truly welcome hither. I am the Duke that loved your father, the residue of your fortune. Go to my cave and tell me, good old man. Thou art right welcome as thy master is. Support him by the arm. Give me your hand and let me all your fortunes understand. Exempt. Act three, scene one, a room in the palace. Enter Duke Frederick, Lords, and Oliver. Not see him since? 
Sir, sir, that cannot be. But were I not the better part made mercy, I should not seek an absent argument of my revenge thou present. But look to it. Find thy brother, wheresoever he is. Seek him with a candle. Bring him dead or living within this twelve months, or turn thou no more to seek a living in our territory. Try lands, Thy lands and all things that thou dost call thine worth seizure do we seize into our hands, till thou canst quit thee by thy brother's mouth of what we think against thee. Oh, that your highness knew my heart in this. I never loved my brother in my life. More villain thou, I'll push him out of doors, and let my officers of such nature make an extent upon his house and lands. Do this expediently, and turn him going. Exempt. Scene two, the forest. Enter Orlando with a paper. Hang there, my verse, in witness of my love. And thou, thrice-crowned queen of night, survey with thy chaste eye from the pale sphere above thy huntress's name that my full life doth sway. Oh, excellent. These trees shall be my books, and in their barks my thoughts are character, that every eye which in this forest looks shall see thy virtue witnessed everywhere. Run, run, Orlando, and carve on every tree the fair, the chaste, and unexpressive she. Exit. Enter Corin and Touchstone. And how like you the shepherd's life, Master Touchstone? Truly, Shepherd, in respect of itself, it is a good life, but in respect that it is a shepherd's life, it is not. <laughs> in respect that it is solitary, I like it very well, but in respect that it is private, it is a very vile life. Now, in respect, uh, blah, 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 blah. now in respect it uh, is in the fields, it pleases me well, but in a respect that it is not in the court, it is tedious. As it is a spare life, look you, it fits my humor well, but as there is no more plenty in it, it goes much against my stomach. Hast any philosophy in thee, Shepherd? No more, but that I know the more one sickens, the worse at ease he is. And that he that wants money, means, and content is without three good friends. That the property of rain is too wet and fire to burn, and that good pasture makes fat sheep, and that a great cause of the night is lack of the sun. <laughs> that he that hath learned no wit by nature nor art may complain of good breeding or comes of a very dull kindred. Such a one is a natural philosopher. <laughs> Was ever in court, Shepherd? No, truly. Oh, then thou art damned. Nay, I hope. Truly, truly, thou art damn like an ill-roasted ill egg on, on one side. For not being at court, your reason. Why, if thou never wast at court, thou never sawst good manners. And if thou never sawst good manners, then thy manners must be wicked. And wickedness is sin, and sin is damnation. Thou art in perilous state, shepherd. Not a wit, Touchstone. Those that are good manners at the court are as, are as ridiculous in the country as the behavior of the country is most mockable at the court. You told me you salute not at the court, but you kiss your hands. That courtesy would be uncleanly if courtiers were shepherds. Well, instance briefly. Come, instance. Why, we are still handling our ewes and their fells, you know, are greasy. 
but why do not your courtier's hands sweat? <laughs> and is not the grease of a mutton as wholesome as the sweat of a man? Shallow, shallow. A better instance, I say, come. Besides, our hands are hard. Your lips will feel them sooner. Shallow again. A more sounder instance, come. And they are often tarred over with the surgery of our sheep. And would you have us kiss tar? The courtier's hands are perfumed with civet. Oh, shallow man. Thou worms meat in respect of a piece of flesh indeed. Learn of the wise and prepend. Civet is of a baser birth than tar, the very uncleanly flux of a cat. Mend the instance, shepherd. You have too courtly a wit for me. I'll rest. Will thou rest, damned? God help thee, shallow man. God make incision in thee. Thou art raw. Sir, I am a true laborer. I earn that I eat, get that I wear, owe no man hate, and be no man's happiness, glad of other man's good, content with my harm. And the greatest of my pride is to see my ewes graze and my lambs suck. Mm, that is another simple sin in you to bring the ewes and the rams together and to offer to get your living by copulation of cattle, to be bawd to a well uh, bellwether and to betray a she-lamb of a 12-month to a crooked, pated old cockledy ram out of reasonable match? If thou beest not damned for this, the devil himself will have no shepherds. I cannot see else how thou should scape. Here comes young Master Ganymede, my new mistress's brother. Enter Rosalind with a paper reading. From the east to western end, no jewel is like Rosalind. Her worth, being mounted on the wind, through all the world bears Rosalind. All the pictures fairest lined are but black to Rosalind. Let no fair be kept in mind but the fair of Rosalind. I'll reign you so eight years together, dinners and suppers and sleeping hours accepted. It is the right butter's woman's rank to market. Out, fool. Uh, for a taste. <clears throat> if a heart do lack a hind, let him seek Rosalind. If the cat will after kind, so sure will be Rosalind. Winter garments must be lined. So must slender Rosalind. They that reap, uh, reap must sheaf and bind, then cart with Rosalind. Sweetest nuff hath sourest rind. Such a nut is Rosalind. He that sweetest rose will find will find love's prick and Rosalind. <sighs> this is the very false gallop of verse. Why do you infect yourself with them? Peace, you dull fool. I found them on a tree. Well, truly, the tree yields bad fruit. I'll graph it with you, and then I shall graph it with a meddler. Then it will be the earliest fruit in the country. For you'll be rotten ere you be half ripe, and that's the right virtue of the meddler. You have said, but whether wisely or no, let the forest judge. Enter Celia with a writing. Peace, here comes my sister, reading. Stand aside. Why should this a desert be? For it is unpeopled, no. Tongues all hang on every tree that shall civil sayings show. Some, how brief the life of man, runs his erring pilgrimage, that the stretching of a span buckles in his sum of age. 
Some of violated vows twixt the souls of friend and friend, but upon the fairest vows, or at every sentence end, will I Rosalinda write, teaching all that grief to know that Queen. Oh, therefore, have a nature charged that one body should be filled with all graces wide and large. Nature presently distilled Helen's cheek, the modern heart, Cleopatra's majesty, Atlanta's better part, sad Lucretia's modesty, thus Rosalind of many parts by heavenly synod was devised of many faces, eyes, and hearts to have the touches dearest prize. Heaven would that she these gifts should have, and I to live and die her slab oh most gentle pulpiter what tedious homely of love have you wearied your parishioners withal and never find have patience good people how now back friends shepherd go off a little go with him sirrah come shepherd let us make an honorable retreat though not with bag and baggage yet with script and scriptage exit corin and touchstone did thou hear these verses? Oh yes, I heard them all and more too, for some of them had in them more feet than verses would bear. That's no matter, the feet might bear the verses. Aye, but the feet were lame and could not bear themselves without the verse, and therefore stood lamely in the verse. But didst thou hear without wondering how thy name should be hanged and carved upon these trees? I was seven of the nine days out of the wonder before you came. For look here what I found on a palm tree. I was never so berhymed since Pythagoras' time that I was an Irish rat, which I can hardly remember. Show you who hath done this. Is it a man? And the chain that you once wore about his neck. Change you color. I prithee who? Oh, Lord, Lord, it is a hard matter for friends to meet, but mountains may be, may be removed with earthquakes and so encounter. Nay, but who is it? Is it possible? Nay, I pray now, with most petitionary vehemence, tell me who it is. Oh, wonderful, wonderful, and most wonderful, wonderful, and yet again wonderful, and after that, out of all, who Good, my complexion. Dost thou think, though the, I am comparisoned like a man, I have a doublet and hose in my disposition? One inch of delay more is a south sea of discovery. I prithee, tell me who it is quickly, and speak apace. I would thou could stammer that thou mightst pour this concealed man out of thy mouth as wine comes out of a narrow mouth bottle, either too much at once or none at all. I prithee, take the cork out of thy mouth that I might drink thy tidings. So you may put a man in your belly. Is he of God's making? What manner of man? Is his head worth a hat? Or his chin worth a beard? Nay, he hath but a little beard. Aye, God will send more, if the man be thankful. Let me stay the growth of his beard, if thou delay me not in the knowledge of his chin. It is young or but tripped up the restless heels and your heart both in his instant. Nay, but the devil take mocking. Speak, sad brow and true maid. 
a great time to be. Orlando? Orlando. Oh, last day. What shall I do with my doublet and hose? What did he say when thou sawest him? What said he? How he looked? Wherein went he? What makes him here? Did he ask for me? Where remains he? How parted he with thee? And when shalt thou see him again? Answer me in one word. You must borrow me, Gargantua's mouth first, to the word too great for any mouth of this age of size. To say I and no to these particulars is more than to answer in a catechism. But doth he know that I am in this forest and in man's apparel? Looks he as freshly as he did the day he wrestled? It is as easy to count atomies as to resolve the propositions of a lover. But take a taste of my finding him and relish with good observance. I found him under a tree like a dropped acorn. It may well be called Jove's tree when it drops forth. Such fruit? Give me audience, good madam. Proceed. <clears throat> there lay he, stretched along like a wounded knight. Though it be a pity to such a sea, such a sight, it well becomes the ground. I haul it to thy tongue, I prithee, it curveth unseasonably. He was burnished like a hunter. Oh, ominous. He comes to kill my heart. I would sing my song without a burden. Thou bringest me out of tune. Do you not know I am a woman? When I think, I must speak. Sweet, say on. You bring me out. Soft, comes he not here? Enter Orlando and Jaquies. Dizzy! Slink by and note him. I thank you for your company, but good faith, I had as lief you had leave by myself alone. And so had I, but yet, for fashion's sake, I thank you too for your society. God be with ye. Uh, let's meet as little as we can. I do desire we may be better strangers. I pray you, mar no more trees with writing love songs on their barks. I pray you, mar no more of my verses with reading them ill-favoredly. Rosalind is your love's name? Yes, just. I do not like her name. There was no thought of pleasing you when she was christened. What stature is she of? Just as high as my heart. <laughs> you are full of pretty answers. Have you not been acquainted with goldsmith's wives and conned them out of rings? Not so, but I answer you, right painted cloth, from whence you have studied your questions. You have a nimble wit. I think twas made of Atalanta's heels. Will you sit down with me? And we too will rail against our mistress, the world and all our misery. I will chide no breather in the world but myself, against whom I know most faults. The worst fault you have is to be in love. It is a fault I would not change for your best virtue. I'm weary of you. <laughs> By my troth, I was seeking for a fool when I found you. He's drowned in the brook. Look but in and you shall see him. There I shall see mine own figure. Which I take to be either a fool or a cipher. I'll tarry no longer with you. Farewell, good senior love. I am glad of your departure. Adieu, good monsieur melancholy. Exit, Jacques. I will speak to him like a saucy lackey and under that habit play the knave with him. Do you hear, Forrester? Very well. What would you? I pray you, 
what is it o'clock? You should ask me what time of day. There's no clock in the forest. Then there is no true lover in the forest. Else sighing every minute and groaning every hour would detect the lazy foot of time as well as a clock. And why not the swift foot of time? Had not that been as proper? By no means, sir. Time travels in diverse paces with diverse persons. I tell you who time ambles withal, who time trots withal, who time gallops withal, and who he stands withal. I prithee, who doth he trot withal? Mary, he trots hard with a young maid between the contract of her marriage and the day it is solemnized. In the interim, be but a senate, time's pace is so hard, it seems the length of seven years. Who ambles time withal? With a priest that lacks Latin and a rich man that hath not the gout. For the one sleeps easily because he cannot study, and the other lives merrily because he feels no pain. The one lacking the burden of lean and wasteful learning, the other knowing no burden of heavy, tedious penury. These time ambles withal. And who does he gallop withal? With a thief to the gallows, for though he go as softly as foot can fall, he thinks himself too soon there. Who stays it still withal? With lawyers in the vacation, for they sleep between term and term, and then they perceive not how time moves. Where dwell you, pretty youth? With this shepherdess, my sister, here in the skirts of the forest, like fringe upon a petticoat. Are you native of this place? As the pony that you see dwell where she is kindled. Your accent is something finer than you could purchase and so remove the dwelling. I have been told so of many, but indeed, an old religious uncle of mine taught me to speak, uh, who was in his youth an inland man, one that knew courtship too well, for there he fell in love. I have heard him read many lectures against it, and I thank God <laughs> I am not a woman to be touched with so many giddy offenses as he hath generally taxed their whole sex with all. <laughs> Can you remember any of the principal evils that he laid to the charge of women? They were not principal. They were all like one another as halfpence are. Every one fault seeming monstrous till his fellow fault come to match it. My pretty, recount some of them. No, I will not cast away my physic, but on those that are sick. There is a man haunts the forest that abuses our young plants with carving muslin on their barks. <laughs> hangs odes upon hawthorns and elegies on brambles officers deifying the name of Rosalind. If I could meet that fancy monger, I would give him some good counsel, for he seems to have the quotidian of love upon him. I am he that is so love-shaped. I pray you, tell me your remedy. There is none of my uncle's marks upon you. He taught me how to know a man in love, in which cage of rushes I am sure you are not a prisoner. What were his marks? A lean cheek, which you have not. A blue eye and sunken, which you have not. A beard neglected, which you have not. <laughs> but I pardon you for that, for simply your having in beard is a younger brother's revenue. Then your host should be unguarded your button unbandoned, your sleeve unbuttoned, your shoe untied, and everything about you demonstrating a careless desolation. But you are no such man. 
you are rather point device to your accoutrement as loving yourself than seeming the lover of any other. Fair youth. I would I could make thee believe I love. Me believe it! You may as soon make her that you love believe it, which I warrant she is apter to do than can to confess she does. That is one of the points in which women still give the lie to their consciences. But, in good sooth, are you he that hangs the verses on the trees wherein Rosalind is so admired? I swear to thee, youth, by the white hand of Rosalind, I am that he, that unfortunate he. But are you so much in love as your rhymes speak? Neither rhyme nor reason can express how much. Love is merely a madness, and I tell you, deserves as well a dark house and a whip as madmen do. And the reason why they are not so punished and cured is that the lunacy is so ordinary that the whippers are in love too. Yet I profess curing it by counsel. Did you ever cure any so? Yes, one, and in this manner. He was to imagine me, his love, his mistress. And I set him every day to woo me, at which time would I, being but a moonish youth, grieve, be effeminate, changeable, longing and liking, proud, fantastical, apish, shallow, and constant, full of tears, full of smiles, for every passion something, and for no passion truly anything, as boys and women are, for the most part, cattle of this color. Would now like him, now loathe him, then entertain him, then forswear him, now weep for him, and spit at him. Then I drave my suitor from his mad humor of love to a living humor of madness, which was to forswear the full stream of the world, and to live in a nook merely monastic, Thus I cured him, and this way will I take upon me to wash your liver as clean as a sound sheep's heart, that there shall not be one spot of love in it. I would not be cured, youth. I would cure you if you would but call me Rosalind, and come every day to my coat and woo me. Now, by the faith of my love, I will. Tell me where it is. Go with me and I'll show it to you by the way. You shall tell me where in the forest you live. Will you go? With all my heart, good youth. Nay, you must call me Rosalind. Come, sister, will you go? Exit. Scene three, the forest. Enter Touchstone and Audrey, Jaquies behind. Come apace, good Audrey. I will fetch up your goats, Audrey. And how, Audrey, am, am I the man yet? Doth my simple feature content you? Your features? Lord warn us, what feature? I am here with thee and thy goats, as most cap uh, capricious poet, honest Ovid, was among the gods. Oh, knowledge ill-inhabited. Worse than Jove in a thatched house. When a man's verses cannot be understood, nor a man's good wits seconded with the forward child understanding, it strikes a man more dead than a great reckoning in a little room. Truly, I would the gods have made thee poetical. I don't know what poetical is. Is it honest indeed in word? Is it a true thing? No, truly, for, for the truest poetry is the most fiending, and lovers are given poetry, and what they must swear in poetry, may be said as lovers, they do fine. 
Do you wish then that the gods had made me poetical? I do, truly. For thou swearest to me thou art honest. Now, if thou wert a poet, I might have some hope thou didst fine. Would you not have me honest? No, truly, unless thou wert hard favored, for honesty coupled to beauty is to have honey a sauce to sugar. A material fool. Well, I am not fair, and therefore I pray the gods make me honest. Truly, and to cast away honesty upon a foul slut were to put good meat into an unclean dish. I am not a slut, though I thank the gods I am foul. Well, praised be the gods for thy foulness. <laughs> Sluttishness may come thereafter, but be it as it may, I, uh, but be it as it may, I will marry thee. And to that end, I have been with Sir Oliver Martix, the vicar of the next village, who hath promised to meet me in this place of the forest. Couple us. I would fain see this meeting. Well, the gods give us joy. Amen. A man may, if he were a fearful heart, stagger into this attempt. For here we have no temple, but the woods, no assembly, but horned beast. But what though? Courage. As horns are odious, they are necessary. It is said, many a man knows no end of his goods. Right. Many a man has good horns and knows no end of them. Well, that is the dowry of his wife. <laughs> Tis not of his own getting. Horns? Even so. Poor men alone? No, 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 no. The noblest deer hath them as huge as the rascals. Is the single man therefore blessed? No, as a, is, as a walled town is more worthier than a village, so is the forehead of a married more honorable than the bare brow of a bachelor. And by how much defense is better than no skill? By so much is a horn more precious to want. Ah, here comes Sir Oliver. And uh, Sir Oliver Martext. Sir Oliver Martext, you are well met. Will you go dispatch us here under this tree or shall we go to the chapel with you? Is there none here to give this woman? Oh, I will not take her on gift of any man. Truly, she must be given, or the marriage is not lawful. Uh, proceed, proceed, I'll give her. Good evening, good master. What ye called, how do you do, sir? You are very well met. God, for you last company, I, I am very glad to see you. Even a toy in hand here, sir. Nay, 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 pray, pray, be covered, be covered. Will you be married, Motley? As the ox has his bow, sir, the horse his curb, and the falcon, sir, bill, so man has his desires. And as a pigeon's bill, so wedlock would be nibbling. And will you, being a man of your breeding, be married under a bush like a beggar? Get you to church and have a good priest that can tell you what marriage is. This fellow will but join you together as they join Wainscot. Then one of you will prove a shrunk panel and like green timber, warp. Warp. <laughs> I am not in the mind, but I were better to be married of him than any other, for he is not likely to marry me well. And not being married well, ha, it'd be a, give me a good excuse for me hereafter to leave my wife. Ha. Go thou with me, and let me counsel thee. Oh, come, sweet Audrey. We must be married, or we must live in baudry. Farewell, good Master Oliver. Not 
Oh, sweet Oliver, oh, brave Oliver, leave me not behind thee, but wind away. Be gone, I say, I will not to wedding with thee. Exit Jaquiz, Touchstone, and Audrey. Tis no matter. They're a fantastical knave of them, shall all flout me out of my calling. Exit. Scene four, the forest. Enter Rosalind and Celia. Hell, sorry. <laughs> Never talk to me, I will weep. Do I pretty, but you have the grace to but yet have the grace to consider that tears do not become a man. But have I not cause to weep? As good cause as one would desire. Therefore weep. His very hair is of the dissembling color. Something browner than Judas's, Mary. His kisses are Judas's own children. In faith, his hair is of a good color. An excellent color. Your chestnut was ever the only color. And his kissing is as full of sanctity as the touch of holy bread. He hath bought a pair of cast lips of Diana. A nun of winter's sisterhood kisses are not more religiously. The very ice of chastity is in them. But why did he swear he would come this morning and he comes not? Nay, certainly there is no truth in him. Do you think so? Yes. I think he is not a pig purse nor a horse stealer, but for his verity in love, I do think him as concave as a covered goblet or worm-eaten nut. Not true in love? Yes, when he is in, but I think he is not in. You have heard him swear downright he was. Was is not is. Besides, the oath of a lover is no stronger than the words of a captor. They are both the confirmer of false reckonings. He attends here in the forest on the Duke, your father. I met the Duke yesterday, and he had much question with him. He asked me of what parentage I was. I told him of as good as tea. <sighs> so he laughed and would not let me go. <laughs> but what... Talk we of fathers when there is such a man as Orlando. Oh, that's a brave man. He writes brave verses, speaks brave words, swears brave oaths, and breaks them bravely. Quite traverse athwart the heart of his lover, as a puny tilter that spurs his horse but on one side, breaks his staff like a noble goose. But all brave that youth mounts and folly guides. He comes here. Enter Corin. Mistress and master, you have oft inquired after the shepherd that complained of love. You who saw sitting by me on the turf, praising the proud disdainful shepherdess that was his mistress. Well, whatever. <laughs> if you will see a pageant truly played between the pale complexion of true love and the red glow of scorn and proud disdain, Go hence a little, and I shall conduct you, if you will mark it. Oh, come, let us remove. The sight of lovers feedeth those in love. Bring us to this sight, and you shall say I'll prove a busy actor in their play. Exent. Scene five, another part of the forest. Enter Silvius and Phoebe. Sweet Phoebe, do not scorn me. Do not, Phoebe, say that you love me not, but say not so in bitterness. The common 
executioner whose heart the accustomed sight of death makes hard falls not the axe upon the humbled neck but first begs pardon will you sterner be than he that dies and lives by bloody drops and your rosalind <laughs> celia and corin behind i would not be thy executioner i fly thee, for I would not injure thee. Thou tellest me there is murder in mine eye. Tis pretty, sure, and very probable that eyes that are the frailest and softest things who shut their coward gates on atomies should be called tyrants, butchers, murderers. Now I do, I do frown on thee with all my heart, and if mine eyes can wound, now let them kill thee. <laughs> now counterfeit to swoon. Why now fall down, or if thou canst not, oh, for shame, for shame. Why not to say mine eyes are murderers? Thou show the wound mine eye hath made in thee. Scratch thee but with a pin, and there remains some scar of it. Lean but upon a rush, the cicatrix and capable and pressure thy palms a moment keeps. But now mine eyes, which I have darted at thee, hurt thee not. <laughs> Nor, I am sure, there is no force in eyes that can do hurt. Oh, dear Phoebe! If ever, as they, as that ever may be near, you meet in some fresh cheek the power of fancy, then some shall you know the wounds invisible that love's keen arrow make. But till that time, come not thou near me. And when that time comes, afflict me with thy mocks. Pity me not, as till that time I shall not pity thee. And why, I pray you? Who might be your mother that you insult, exult, and all at once over the wretched? Ooh. What, though you have no beauty, as by my faith I see no more in you than without candle may go dark to bed, must you be therefore? proud and pitiless. Why, what means this? Why do you look on me? I see no more in you than in the ordinary of nature's sail work. God's my little life. I think she means to tangle my eyes too. No, faith, proud mistress, hope not after it. Tis not your inky brows, your black silk hair, your bugle eyeballs, nor your cheek of cream that can entame my spirits to your worship. <laughs> you foolish shepherd. Wherefore do you follow her like foggy south puffing with wind and rain? You are a thousand times a proper man than she a woman. Tis such fools as you that makes the world full of ill-favored children. Tis not her glass, but you that flatters her. And out of you, she sees herself more proper than any of her linements can show her. But, mistress, know yourself. Down on your knees at thank heaven fasting for a good man's love. For I must tell you friendly in your ear, when you can. <laughs> you are not for all markets. Oh! <laughs> Cry the man mercy. Love him. Take his offer. Foul is most foul 
being fouled to be a scoffer. Take her toothy, Shepherd. <sighs> Sweet youth, I pray you chide a year together. I had rather hear you chide than this man woo. <laughs> He's fallen in love with your foulness, and she'll fall in love with my anger. If it be so, as fast as she answers the frowning looks, I'll sauce her with bitter words. Why look you so upon me? For no ill will, I bear you. <laughs> I pray you do not fall in love with me, for I am falser than vows made in wine. Besides, I like you not. If you will know my house, tis at the tuft of olives here hard by. Will you go, sister? Shepherd, ply her hard. Come, sister. Shepherdess, look on him better, and be not proud. Though all the world could see, none could be so abused in sight as he. Come to our flock. Isn't Rosalind, Celia, and Corin? Hmm? Dead shepherd, now I find thy sov might, whoever loves that loves not at first sight. <coughs> Sweet Phoebe. <laughs> what sayest thou, Silvius? Sweet Phoebe, pity me. Why, I am sorry for thee, gentle Silvius. Whenever sorrow is, relief would be. If you do so, trimmed. <laughs> Thou hast my love, is that not neighborly? I would have you. Why, that were covetousness. Silvius, the time was that I hated thee, and yet it is not that I bear thee love, but huh? since that thou canst talk of love so mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. Thy company, which erst was irksome to me, I will endure and I'll employ thee too, but do not look yes. for the recompense than thine own gladness that thou art employed. So holy and so perfect is my love, and I in such poverty of grace that I shall think it a most plenteous crop to glean the broken ears after the man that the main harvest reaps. I loose now, and then a scattered smile, and that I'll live upon. Knowest thou the youth that spoke to me erewhile? Not very well, but I have met him oft, and he hath brought the, oh, he hath bought the cottage and bounds that the old carlet once was master of. Yeah, think not I love him, huh? though I ask for him. Oh. <laughs> Tis but a peevish <laughs> boy, yet yeah. he talked well. Um, uh, but what are I for words? Yet words do well when he that speaks them pleases those that hear. It, it is a pretty yeah. youth. <laughs> Not very yeah. pretty, but yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. He is, he is proud, uh, yet his pride becomes him. <laughs> He'll make a proper man. <laughs> the, the best thing in him is his complaint. And, uh, and faster than his tongue did make sense. His eye did heal it up. <laughs> he's, he's not very tall, yet uh, for his years, he is tall. His leg is but so so. Uh, mm. And yet, as well, there, there was a pretty redness in his little paper, a little more left red. And that makes me That's the difference between the content. Red and a mingled damask. 
there be some women, Sylvia, had they marked him in parcels as, as I did, that would have gone near to fall in love with him. But for my part, I love him not uh no, nor hate him not uh and yet i have i have more cause to hate him than to love him for what had he to do to try it at me <laughs> he said my eyes were black and my hair black and now i am remembered uh, scorned at me i marvel why i answered not again but the fall one omittance is no quittance i'll write to him a very taunting letter and thou shalt bear it both of sylvia phoebe with all my heart I'll write it straight, the matters in my head and in my heart. I will be bitter with him and passing short, go with me, Silvius. <laughs> Exit. <laughs> Act four, Bye. scene one, the forest. Enter Rosalind, Celia, and Jaques. Pretty, pretty youth, let me be better acquainted with thee. They say you are a melancholy fellow. I am so. I do love it better than laughing. Those that are in extremity of either are abominable fellows that betray themselves to every modern censure worse than drunkards. Why? Tis good to be sad and say nothing. Why then, tis good to be a post. I have neither the scholar's melancholy, which is emulation, nor the musician's, which is fantastical, nor the courtier's, which is proud, nor the soldier's, which is ambitious, nor the lawyer's, which is politic. Nor the ladies, which is nice, nor the lovers, which is all of these. But it is a melancholy of mine own, compounded of many simples, extracted from many objects, and indeed the sundry's contemplation of my travels, in which my often ruminations wrap me in most humorous sadness. A traveler. By my faith, you have great reason to be sad. I fear you have sold your own lands to see other men's, than to have seen much and to have nothing, is to have rich eyes and poor hands. Uh, yes, I have gained my experience. And your experience makes you sad. I had rather have a fool to make me merry than experience to make me sad. And to travel for it, too. Enter Orlando. Good day and happiness, dear Rosalind. Nay, then, God be with you. And you talk in blank verse. Exit. Farewell, Monsieur Traveller. Look, you lisp and wear strange suits, disable all the benefits of your own country. Be out of love with your nativity and almost chide God for making you that countenance you are, or I will scarce think you have swam in a gondola. Why, how now, Orlando? Where have you been all this while? You a lover, and you serve me such another trick. Never come in my sight no more. Oh, my fair Rosalind, I come within an hour of my promise. Break an hour's promise in love. He that will divide a minute into a thousand part and break my, break, fuck sakes, sorry. <laughs> but break but a part <laughs> of the thousandth part of my minute in the affairs of love. It, may be said of him that Cupid hath clapped him on the shoulder, but I'll warrant him a heart whole. Pardon me, dear Rosalind. Nay, and you be so tardy, come no more in my sight. I had as lief be wooed of a snail. Of a snail? Aye, of a snail. 
for though he comes slowly, he carries his house on his head. A better jointer, I think, than you make a woman. Besides, he brings his destiny with him. What's that? My horns, which such as you are fain to be beholding to your wives for. But he comes armed in his fortune and prevents the slander of his wife. Virtue is no horn maker, and my Rosalind is virtuous. And I am your Rosalind. It pleases him to call you so, but he hath a Rosalind of a better leer than you. Come, woo me, woo me, for now I am in a holiday humor and like enough to consent. What would you say to me, and I were your very, very Rosalind? I would kiss before I spoke. Nay, you were better speak first, and when you were graveled for lack of matter, you might take occasion to kiss. Very good orators, when they are out, they will spit. And for lovers lacking, God warn us, matter the cleanliest shift is to kiss. How if the kiss be denied? Then she puts you to entreaty, and there begins new matter. Who could be out, being before his beloved mistress? Mary, that should you, if I were your mistress, or I should think my honesty ranker than my wit. What of my suit? Not out of your apparel, and yet out of your suit. Am I not your Rosalind? I take some joy to say you are, because I would be talking of her. Well, in her person, I will say, I will not have you. Then in mine own person, I die. No, Faith, die by attorney. The poor world is almost 6,000 years old. And in all this time, there was not any man died in his own person. Somebody help me with this word. Vedalic? Sure. In a love cause. Troilus and his brains. Videlicit? You know, I googled it and Siri was just all over the map on it. Troilus had his brains dashed out with a Grecian club. Yet he did what he could to die before. And he is one of the patterns of love. Leander, he would have lived many a fair year, though Hero had turned none, if it had not been for a hot summer night. For, good youth, he went but forth to wash him in the hellspond, and being taken with the cramp was drowned, and the foolish coroners of that age found that it was Hero of Sestos. But these are all lies. Men have died from time to time, and worms have eaten them, but not for love. I would not have my right Rosalind of this mind, for I protest her frown might kill me. By this hand, it would not kill a fly. But come, now I will be a Rosalind in a more coming-on disposition, and ask me what you will. I will grant it. Then love me, Rosalind. Yes, Faith, will I. Fridays and Saturdays and all. And wilt thou have me? Aye, and twenty such. What sayest thou? Are you not good? I hope so. Why then can one desire too much of a good thing? Come, sister, you shall be priest and marry us. Give me your hand, Orlando. What do you say, sister? Pray thee, marry us. I cannot say the word. You must begin. Will you, Orlando? Go to. Will you, Orlando, have to wife this Rosalind? I will. I but when? Why now? As fast as she can marry us. Then you must say, I take thee, Rosalind, for wife. 
I take thee, Rosalind, for wife. I might ask you for your commission, but I do take the Orlando for my husband. There's a girl goes before the priest, and certainly a woman's thought runs before her actions. So do all thoughts. They are winged. Now tell me how long you would have after you have possessed her. Forever and a day. Say a day without the ever. No, no, Orlando. Men are April when they woo, December when they wed. Maids are May when they are maids, but the sky changes when they are wives. I will be more jealous of thee than a Barbary cock pigeon over his head, more clamorous than a parrot against rain, more newfangled than an ape, more giddy in my desires than a monkey. I will weep for nothing, like Diana in the fountain, and I will do that when you are disposed to be merry. I will laugh like a hyena, and that when thou art inclined to sleep. But will my Rosalind do so? But my life, she will do as I do. Oh, but she is wise. Or else she could not have the wit to do this. The wiser, the waywarder. Make the doors upon a woman's wit, and it will out at the casement. Shut that, and will out at the keyhole. Stop that, twill fly with the smoke out at the chimney. A man that had a wife with such a wit, he might say, wit with a wilt. Now, you might keep that check for it till you met your wife's wit going to your neighbor's bed. And what wit could wit have to excuse that? Mary, to say she came to seek you there. You shall never take her without her answer unless you take her without her tongue. Oh, that woman that cannot make her fault her husband's occasion. Let her never nurse her child herself, or she will breed it like a fool. For these two hours, Rosalind, I will leave thee. Alas, dear love, I cannot lack thee two hours. I must attend the duke at dinner. By two o'clock, I will be with thee again. I go your ways, go your ways. I knew what you would prove. My friends told me as much. And I thought no less. That flattering tongue of yours won me. But tis one cast away. And so come death. Two o'clock is your hour. Aye, sweet Rosalind. By my troth, and in good earnest, and so God mend me, and by all pretty oaths that are not dangerous, if you break one shot of your promise or come one minute behind your hour, I will think you the most pathetical break promise and the most hollow lover and the most unworthy of her you call Rosalind, that you may be chosen out of the gross band of the unfaithful. Therefore, beware my censure and keep your promise. With no less religion than if thou wert indeed my Rosalind. So adieu. Well, time is the old justice that examines all such offenders. And let time try. Adieu. Exit Orlando. You have simply misused our sex in your love crate. You must have your doublet and hose plucked over your head and show the world what the bird hath done to her own nest. Oh, cuz, 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 my pretty little cuz. That thou didst know how many fathom deep I am in love. But it cannot be sounded. My affection hath an unknown bottom like the Bay of Portugal. Or rather bottomless, that as fast as you pour affection in, it runs out. 
No, that same wicked bastard of Venus that was begot of thought, conceived of spleen and born of madness, that blind rascally boy that abuses everyone's eyes because his own are out. Let him be the judge of how deep I am in love. I'll tell thee, Eliana, I cannot be out of the sight of Orlando. I'll go find a shadow and sigh till he come. And I'll sleep. Exit. Scene two, the forest, enter Jaquie's lords and foresters. Which is he that killed the deer? Sir, it was I. <laughs> Let's present him to the duke like a Roman conqueror. And it do, will do well to set the deer's horns upon his head for a branch of victory. Have you no song, Forester, for this purpose? Uh, yes, sir. Sing it. <laughs> Tis no matter how it be in tune, so it makes noise enough. What shall he have that killed the deer, his leather skin and horns to wear? Then sing him home. Stummy, take thou nor scorn to wear the horn. It was a crest ere thou wast born. Thy father's father wore it. And thy father bore it, the horn, the horn, the lusty horn, is not a thing to laugh and scorn. Exit. Scene three, the forest, enter Rosalind and Celia. Oh, shit. <laughs> How say you now, is it not past two o'clock? And here... Much Orlando. I warrant you, with pure love and troubled brain, he hath taken his bow and arrows and has gone forth to sleep. Look who comes here. Enter Silvius. My errand is to you, fair youth. My gentle Phoebe bid me give you this. <laughs> I know not the contents, but as I guess by the stern brow and waspish action what she did use as she was writing of it, I bears an angry tenor. Pardon me, I am but as guiltless a messenger. Patience herself would startle at this letter and play mm -hmm. the swagger her. Bear this, bear all. Mm -hmm. She says I am not fair. Mm -hmm that I lack manners, that she calls me proud, yeah. and that she could not love me, mm -mm. were man as rare as phoenix. Odds my will, her love is not the hare that I do hunt. Why writes she so to me? Well, Shepherd, well, this is a letter of your own device. No, I protest, I know not the contents. Phoebe did write it. Come, come. You are a fool and hey. turned into the extremity of love. I saw her hand. She has a leathern hand, a freestone colored hand. I verily did think that her old gloves were on, but was her hands? She had a housewife's hand, but that's no matter. I, I say she never did invent this letter. This is a man's invention and his hand. Sure, it is hers. Why, tis a boisterous and cruel style, a style for challenges. Why, she defies me like Turk to Christian. 
Women's gentle brain could not drop forth such giant, rude inventions, such, such Ethiop words, blacker in their effect than in their countenance. Will you hear the letter? So please you. For I never heard it yet, yet heard so much of Phoebe's cruelty. She Phoebe's me. Mark how the tyrant writes. <clears throat> Art thou God to shepherd turned that a maiden's heart hath burned? Can a woman rail this? Call you this railing? <laughs> Why thy Godhead laid apart wars thou with a woman's heart? Did, did you ever hear such railing? Whilst the eye of man did woo me that could no vengeance to me, meaning me a beast, if the scorn of your bright eye have power to raise such love in mine, I like in me what strange effect would they work in mild aspect? Whiles you chide me, I did love. How then might your prayers move? He that brings this love to thee little knows this love in me, and by him seal up thy mind, whether the youth and kind will be the faithful offer take of me, and all that I could make, or else by him my love deny, and then I'll study how to die. <laughs> Call you this chiding? Oh, wow, poor shepherd. Don't you pity him? No, he deserves no pity. Wilt thou love such a woman? What? To make thee an instrument and play false strains upon thee, not to be injured. But go your way to her, for I see love hath made thee a tame snake. And say this to her, that if she loves me, I charge her to love thee. And if she will not, I will never have her unless thou entreat for her. If you be a true lover, hence, and not a word, for here comes more company. Exit Silvius, enter Oliver. Good morrow, fair ones. Pray you, if you know. Where in the purlieus of this forest stands a sheepcote fenced about with white, with olive trees? West of this place, down in the neighbor bottom, the rank of osiers by the murmuring stream left on your right hand brings you to the place. But at this hour, the house doth keep itself. There's none. <laughs> if then I may profit by a tongue, then should I know you by description, such garments and such years, the boy is fair of female favor and bestows himself like a ripe sister. The woman low and browner than her brother. Are not you the owner of the house I did inquire for? It is no boast being asked to say we are. Orlando doth commend him to you both. And to that youth he calls his Rosaline, he sends his this bloody napkin. Are you he? I am. What must we understand by this? some of my shame if you will know of me what man i am and how and why and where this handkerchief was stained i pray you tell it when last the young orlando parted from you he left a promise to return again within an hour and pacing through the forest chewing the food of sweet and bitter fancy lo what befell he threw his eye aside and mark what object did present itself under an oak whose bows were mossed with age and high top bald with dry antiquity, a wretched, ragged man, overgrown with hair, lay sleeping on his back. About his neck, a green and gilded snake hath wreathed itself, who with her head nimble in threats approached, 
the opening of his mouth. But suddenly, seeing Orlando, it unlinked itself, and with indented glides did slip away into a bush, under which bush's shade a lioness, with udders all drawn dry, lay, cough, lay couching, head on ground, with cat-like watch, when that the sleeping man should stir, for tis the royal disposition of that beast to prey on nothing that doth seem as dead. This scene, Orlando did approach the man, and found it was his brother, his elder brother. Oh, I have heard him speak of that same brother. And he did render him the most unnatural that lived amongst men. And well he might so do, for well I know he was unnatural. But to Orlando, did he leave him there, food to the sucked and hungry lioness? Twice did he turn his back and purpose so, but kindness nobler ever than revenge, and nature stronger than his just occasion, made him give battle to the lioness, who quickly fell before him, in which hurtling from miserable slumber I awaited. Are you his brother? Was you he rescued? Was you that did, that did so oft contrive to kill him? Was I. But tis not I... I do not shame to tell you what I was, since my conversion so sweetly tastes being the thing that I am. But for the bloody napkin. By and by. When from the first to last betwixt us two, tears our recountments had most kindly bathed, as how I came into this desert place. In brief, he led me to the gentle duke, who gave me, my, who gave me fresh array and entertainment, committing me unto my brother's love, who led me instantly unto his cave, there stripped himself, and here upon his arm the lioness had tore some flesh away, which all this while had bled, and now he fainted and cried in fainting upon Rosaline. Brief, I recovered him, bound up his wounds, and after some small space, being strong at heart, he sent me hither, stranger as I am, to tell this story, that you might excuse his broken promise, and to give this napkin, dyed in his blood, unto the shepherd youth, that he in sport doth call his Rosaline. Rosalind swoons. Why, how now, Ganymede? Sweet Ganymede, Ganymede! Many will swoon when they do look on blood. There's more in it. Cousin, Ganymede, Ganymede! Look, he recovers. I would I were at home. We'll lead you thither. I pray that you, will, will you take him by the arm? Be of good cheer, youth. You a man. You lack a man's heart. I, I do so, I confess it. Ah, sirrah, a body would think this was well counterfeited. I pray you, tell your brother how well I counterfeited. Hey-ho! This, this was not counterfeit. There is too great testimony in your complexion that it was a passion of earnest. Counterfeit, I assure you. Well, then take a good heart and counterfeit to be a man. So I do. <laughs> but, faith, I should have been a woman by right. Um, you look paler and paler. Pray you, draw homeward. Good, sir. Go with us. That will I, for I must bear answer back. How you excuse my brother, Rosalind. I shall devise something. But I pray you, commend my counterfeiting to him. <laughs> will you go? <laughs> Exit. Act 5, Scene 1, The Forest. Enter Touchstone and Audrey. We shall find a time, Audrey. Patience, gentle Audrey. Faith, the priest was good enough for all the old gentlemen saying. 
a most wicked Sir Oliver Audrey, a most vile Martex, but Audrey, there is a youth here in the forest lay claims to you. Aye, I know who tis. He hath no interest in me in the world. Here comes the man you mean. Oh, it is meat and drink to me to see a clown. By my troth, we that have good wits have much to answer for. We shall be flouting. We cannot hold. <laughs> oh, good oh, even, Audrey. Gaji, good evening, William. And good even to you, sir. Good evening, gentle friend. Oh, cover thy head, cover thy head. Nay, nay, prithee be covered. <laughs> how old are you, friend? Uh, five and twenty, sir. Oh, how ripe age. Is thy name William? William, sir. A fair name. Wast born I the forest here? Aye, sir. I thank God. Thank God. A good answer. Art rich? Faith, sir. So, so. So, so is good. Very good. Very excellent good. And yet it is not. It is but so, so. Art thou wise? I, sir, I have a pretty wit. Why, thou sayest well. I, I do now remember a saying, the fool doth think he is wise, but the wise man knows himself to be a fool. But the heathen philosopher, when he had a desire to eat a grape, would open his lips when he put it into his mouth, meaning thereby the grapes were made to eat and lips to open. <laughs> do you love this maid? I do, sir. Give me your hand. Art thou learned? No, sir. Then learn this of me. To have is to have. For it is a figure in rhetoric that drink being poured out of a cup into a glass by filling the one doth empty the other. For all your writers do consent that Ips is he. Now you are not Ips, for I am he. Which he, sir? He, sir, that must marry this woman. Therefore, you clown abandoned, which is in the vulgar, leave. The society which, in the boorish, is company. Of this female which, in the common, is woman. Which together is, hmm? Abandon the society of this female or clown, <laughs> thou perishest. Or to thy better understanding diest or to wit i will kill thee make thee away translate thy life to death thy, thy life to death thy liberty to bondage i will deal in poison with thee or in bastinado or in steel i will bandy with thee in faction i will o'errun thee with policy i will kill thee a hundred and fifty ways therefore tremble and depart. Do, good William. God, you are so merry, sir. Exit, enter Corin. Our master and mistress seeks you. Come, away, away. Trip, Audrey, trip, Audrey. I attend, I attend. Exit. Scene two, the forest. Enter Orlando and Oliver. Is it possible that on so little acquaintance you should like her? That but seeing you should love her, and loving, woo, and wooing, she should grant, and will you persevere to enjoy her? Neither call the giddiness of it in question. 
the poverty of her, the small acquaintance, my sudden wooing, nor her sudden consenting, but say with me, I love Eliana. Say with her that she loves me. Consent with both that we may enjoy each other. It shall be to your good. For my father's house and all the revenue that was old Sir Rowan's will, I estate upon you, and here live and die a shepherd. You have my consent. Let your wedding be tomorrow. Thither will I invite the Duke and all his contented followers. Go you and prepare Eliana. For look you, here comes my Rosalind. Enter Rosalind. Uh, your brother. And, and you, you, fair sister. Exit. Oh, my dear Orlando, how it grieves me to see thee wear thy heart in a scarf. It is my arm. <laughs> <laughs> I thought thy heart had been wounded with the claws of a lion. Wounded it is, but with the eyes of a lady. <laughs> did, did your brother tell you how I counterfeited to swoon when he showed you me your, your handkerchief? Aye, <laughs> greater wonders than that. Oh, I know where you are. Nay, tis true. There was never anything so sudden but the fight of two rams and Caesar's thrasonical brag of I came, I saw, and overcame. For your brother and my sister no sooner met, but they looked, no sooner looked, but they loved, no sooner loved, but they sighed, no sooner sighed but they asked one another the reason. No sooner knew the reason, but they sought the remedy. And in these degrees have they made a pair of stairs to marriage, which they will climb incontinent or else be incontinent before marriage. They are in the very wrath of love and they will together. Clubs cannot part them. They shall be married tomorrow and I will bid the Duke to the nuptial. But oh, a bitter thing it is to look into happiness through another man's eyes. By so much the more shall I tomorrow be at the height of hard happiness. By how much I shall think my brother happy in having what he wishes for. Why, tomorrow I cannot serve your turn for Rosalind? I can live no longer by thinking. I will weary you then no longer with idle talking. Now with me then, for now I speak to some purpose, that I know you are a gentleman of good conceit. I speak not that this you should bear a good opinion of my knowledge, insomuch as I say I know you are. Neither do I labor for a greater esteem than may in some little measure draw a belief from you to do yourself good and not to grace me. Believe then, if you please, that I can do strange things. I have, since I was three-year-old, conversed with the magician, most profound in his art and yet not damnable. If you do love Rosalind so near the heart as your gesture cries it out, when your brother marries Aliana, shall you marry her? I know into what straits of fortune she is driven, and it is not impossible to me if it appear not inconvenient to you to set her before your eyes tomorrow, human as she is, and without any danger. Speakest thou in sober meaning? By my life I do, which I tender dearly, though I say I am a magician. Therefore put you 
in your best array. Bid your friends, for if you will be married tomorrow, you shall enter Rosalind, if you will. Enter Silvius and Phoebe. Look, here comes a lover of mine and a lover of hers. Youth, you have done me much ungentleness to show the letter that I writ to you. I care not if I have. It is my study to seem despiteful and ungentle to you. You are there followed by a faithful shepherd. Look upon him. Love him. He worships you. Good shepherd, tell this youth what is to love. It is to be all made of sights and tears. And so I am for Phoebe. And I for Ganymede. And I for Rosalind. And I for no woman. It is to be all made of faith and service. And so I am for Phoebe. And I for Ganymede. And I for Rosalind. And I for no woman. It is to be all made of fantasy and made of passion and made of wishes. All adjuration, duty, and observances, all humbleness, all patience, and impatience, all purity, all trial, all observance. And so am I for Phoebe! And so am I for Ganymede! And so am I for Rosalind! And so am I for no woman! If this be so, why blame you me to love you? If this be so, why blame you me to love you? If this be so, why blame you me to love you? What do you speak to? Why blame me to love you? To her that is not here and doth not hear. Are you no more of this? It is like the howling of Irish wolves against the moon. Mm. I will help you if I can. (gasps) I would love you if I could. Tomorrow, meet me all together. I will marry you if I ever marry a woman. And I'll be married tomorrow. I will satisfy you if ever I satisfied man, and you shall be married tomorrow. I will content you if what pleases you contents you, and you shall be married tomorrow. As you love Rosalind, meet. As you love Phoebe, meet. Mm -hmm. And as I love no woman, I'll meet. So fare you well. I have left you commands. I'll not fail if I live. Nor I. Nor I. Excellent. Scene three, the forest. Enter Touchstone and Audrey. Tomorrow is the joyous day, Audrey. Tomorrow we will be married. I do desire it with all my heart, and I hope it is no dishonest desire to desire to be a woman of the world. Here comes two of the banished Duke's pages. Okay, so this is Gabby and James. Oh, Enter two pages. I'm so sorry. Yes, we're here. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. We are for you. Sit in the middle. Nope. Well met, honest gentlemen. <laughs> By my troth, well met. Come sit, sit, and, and a song. We are for you. Sit in the middle. Shall we clap into it roundly without hawking or spitting or saying we are hoarse, which are the only prologues to a bad voice? In faith and faith and both in a tune, like two gypsies on a horse. 
It was a lover and his lass with a hey and a ho and a hey nonny no that o'er the green cornfield did pass in the springtime the only pretty ring time when birds do sing hey ding a ding ding sweet lovers love the spring between the acres of the rye with a hey and a ho and a hey nonny no those pretty country folks would lie in springtime what is nc this carol they began that hour with a hey and a ho and a hey nanny no how that life was but a flower in springtime and see and therefore take the present time with a hey and a ho and a hey nanny no for love is crowned with the prime in springtime and see truly <laughs> Gentlemen, though there was no great matter in the ditty, yet the note was very untunable. You are deceived, sir. We kept time. We lost not our time. By my troth, yes. I count it, but time lost to hear such a foolish song. God be with you, and God mend your voices. Oh, come, Audrey. Excellent. Scene four, the forest. Enter Duke Senior, Amiens, Jaques, Orlando, Oliver, and Celia. Dost thou believe, Orlando, that the boy can do all this that he hath promised? Sometimes do believe, and sometimes do not. And those that fear they hope, and know they fear. Um, Enter Rosalind, Sylvia, and Phoebe. Patience once more, whilst our compact is urged. You say, if I bring in your Rosalind, you will bestow her on Orlando here. That would I, had I kingdoms to give with her. And you say you will have her when I bring her. That would I, were I of all kingdoms king. You say you'll marry me, if I be willing. That will I, should I die the hour after. But if you do refuse to marry me, you'll give yourself to this most faithful shepherd. So is the bargain. <laughs> you say that you'll have Phoebe if she will. Though to have her in death were both one thing. I have promised to make all this matter even. Keep your word, O Duke, to give your daughter you yours, Orlando, to receive his daughter. Keep your word, Phoebe, that you'll marry me or else refusing me to wed this shepherd. Hi. Keep your word, Silvius, that you'll marry her if she refuse me. And from hence I go to make all these doubts all even. Exent Rosalind and Celia. Huh. I do remember in this shepherd boy some lively touches of my daughter's favor. My lord, the first time that I ever saw him, methought he was a brother to your daughter. But, my good lord, this boy is forest-born, and hath been tutored in the rudiments of many desperate studies by his uncle, whom he reports to be a great magician, obscured in the circle of this forest. Enter Touchstone and Audrey. There is, sure, another flood ward, and these couples are coming to the ark. Here comes a pair of very strange beasts, which in all tongues are called fools. Salutations and greetings to you all. <laughs> Good, my lord. Bid him welcome. 
This is the motley-minded gentleman that I have so often met in the forest. He has been a courtier, he swears. If any man doubt that, let him put me, uh, let him put me to my purgation. I have trod a measure. I have flattered a lady. I have been politic with my friend, smooth with mine enemies. I have undone three tailors. I have had four quarrels and like to have fought one. And how was that taken up? Uh, faith, we, we met and we found the quarrel was upon the seventh cause. How seventh cause? Good my lord, like this fellow. I like him very well. <laughs> God ill do, sir. <laughs> I desire you of the like. I press in here, sirs, amongst the rest of the country copulatives to swear to forswear, according as marriage binds and blood breaks. A poor virgin, sir, a ill-favored thing, sir, but mine own. A poor humor of mine, sir, to take that no man else will. <laughs> Rich honesty dwells like a miser, sir, in the poorhouse, as your pearl in your foul oyster. By my faith, he is very swift and sententious. According to the fool's boat, sir, and such dulic diseases. But for the seventh cause, how did you find the quarrel on the seventh cause? Upon a lie, seven times removed. Now, bear your body more seemingly, Audrey. Okay, as thus, sir. I did dislike the cut of a certain courtier's beard. He sent me word, if I said his beard was not cut well, he was in the mind it was. This is called the retort courteous. If I sent him word again, it was not cut well, he would send me word back, he cut it to please himself. Now this is called the quit modest. And if again, it was not cut well, he disabled my judgment. This is called the reply, reply churlish. If again, it was not cut well, he would answer, I spark not true. This is called the reproof valiant. If again, it is not well cut, he would said, I lied. This is called the counter check quarrelsome. And so to the lie circumstantial and the lie direct. And how oft did you say his beard was not cut, uh, well cut? I durst not go further than the lie circumstantial, nor he durst not give me the lie direct. And so we measured swords and parted. Can you nominate in order how and uh, now the degrees of the lie? Oh, sir. We quarrel in print by the book. As you have books for good manners, I will name you the degrees. The first. The retort courteous, the second, the quit modest, the third, the reply churlish, the fourth, the reproof valiant, the fifth, the countercheck quarrelsome, the sixth, the lie with the circumstance, and the seventh, the lie direct. All of these you may avoid, but the lie direct. And you may avoid that too with an if. Mm. I knew when seven justices could not take up a quarrel, but when the parties were met themselves, one of them thought but of an if. As if you said so, then I said so. And they shook hands and they swore brothers. <laughs> Your if is the only peacemaker. Much virtue in if. Is not this a rare fellow, my lord? He's as good at anything and yet a fool. He uses his folly like a stalking horse, and under the presentation that he shoots his wit. Enter Hyman, Rosalind, and Celia. Still music. 
Then is there mirth in heaven when earthly things made even atone together. Good Duke, receive thy daughter. Hymen from heaven brought her. Yea, brought her hither, that thou mightst join her hand with his whose heart's within his bosom is. To you I give myself, for I am yours. To you I give myself, for I am yours. If there be truth in sight, you are my daughter. If there be truth in sight, you are my Rosalind. Phoebe. Morgan. Phoebe. It's Morgan. Be true. <laughs> Why then, my love. Yes. <laughs> I'll have no father if you be not he. I'll have no husband if you be not he. Nor ne'er wed woman if you be not she. Peace, ho, I bar confusion. His eye must make conclusion of these most strange events. Here's eight that must take hands to join in Hymen's bands. If truth holds content, you and you, no cross shall part. Uh, you and you are heart in heart. You to his love must accord or have a woman to your lord. And you and you are sure together as the winter to foul weather. Whilst a wedlock hymn we sing, feed yourselves with questioning that reason wonder may diminish how thus we met and these things finish. Wedding is great Juno's crown, O oh, blessed bond of board and bed, tis Hymen peoples every town. Uh, high wedlock then be honored, honor, high honor and renown to Hymen, god of every town. Oh, my dear niece, welcome thou art to me. <clears throat> Even daughter, welcome in no less degree. <clears throat> I will not eat my word, <laughs> now thou art mine. Thy faith, my fancy to thee doth combine. Let me have audience for a word or two. I am the second son of Sir Rowland that brings these tidings to this fair assembly. Duke Frederick, hearing how that every day men of great worth resorted to this forest, addressed a mighty power, which were on foot in his own conduct purposely to take his brother here and put him to the sword. <gasps> and to the skirts of this wild wood he came, where, meeting with an old religious man after some questions with him, was converted, both from his enterprise and from the world, his crown bequeathing to his banished brother, and all their lands restored to them again, that were with him exiled. This to be true, I do engage my life. Welcome, young man. Thou offerest fairly to thy brother's wedding. To one his lands withheld, and to the other a land itself at large, a potent dukedom. First, in this forest, let us do those ends that here we are well begun and well begot. And after, every of this happy number that have endured shrewd days and nights with us shall share the good of our return and fortune, according to the measures of their states. Meantime, Forget this new fallen dignity and fall into our rustic revelry. Play, music, and you, brides and bridegrooms all, 
with measured heaped in joy to the measures fall. Yay! <laughs> Sir, by your patience, oh. if I heard you rightly, the Duke hath put a religious life and thrown into neglect the pompous court? Yes. To him will I. Out of these convertites, there is much matter to be heard and learned. You to your former honor I bequeath. Your patience and your virtue well deserves it. To you, a love that your true faith doth merit. To you, your hand, land and love and great allies. You to a long and well-deserved bed. God, damn it. <laughs> and you to wrangling. For thy loving voyage is but for two months victualled. So to your pleasures, I am for other than for dancing measures. Stay, Jaquies, stay. You see no pastime, I what you would have. I'll stay to know at your abandoned cave. Exit. Proceed. <laughs> Proceed. We will begin these rites. As we do trust they'll end in true delights. A dance. Yay! Ooh. Epilogue. Ooh. It is not the fashion to see the lady the epilogue. Mm -hmm. But it is no more unhandsome than to see the lord the prologue. If it be true that good wine needs no bush, it is true that a good play needs no epilogue. Yet to good wine... They do use good bushes, and good plays prove the better by the help of a good epilogue. What a case am I in, then, that I am neither a good epilogue nor cannot insinuate with you in the behalf of a good play? I am not furnished like a beggar, therefore to beg will not become me. My way is to conjure you, and I'll begin with the women. I charge you, O women. For the love you bear to men, to like as much of this play as you please you. And I charge you, O men, for the love you bear to women, as I perceive by your simpering none of you hates them, that between you and the women, the play may please. If I were a woman, I would kiss as many of you as had beards that pleased me, complexions that liked me, and breasts that I defied not. And I am sure, as many as have good beards or good faces or sweet breaths will, for my kind offer, when I make curtsy, bid me farewell. The end. Beards rule. Yeah, beards. <laughs> <laughs>